You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Ask Drone You. As always, my name is Paul. My name is Rob. Grateful to be hanging out with you, Mr. Aiken. Pablo, thank you for spending a few minutes of your day with us. Yeah, grateful to be here with you, Rob, and everyone who is listening. We got uh, an exciting show today. Just want to say thanks to Tom for sending in this question. As we did a production with the local baseball team, um, which uh, is actually an interesting story about how it kind of all came about. But if you're not familiar with Cinewhoop, and if you are an experienced or advanced drone pilot and you need that extra push, you need, a, you need to catch the bug again, as we would say, Cinewhoop is definitely that challenge. Uh, I'm talking about the small FPV drones uh, that you mount a GoPro to. And I have to say, Rob, I am astonished at the massive leaps forward by GoPro in their image stabilization. It's absurd. <laughs> like, I mean, I've, I've been out of the GoPro game for some time. Yeah. And, you know, when we got that GoPro Hero 9, um, you know, I thought, oh, okay, cool, another GoPro, whatever. But, <laughs> I haven't even really used it. Yeah, we used it for a couple of productions, some time lapses and whatnot, but that was about it. It kind of turned into a time lapse camera for me. But sticking it on the Cinewhoop drone and actually flying for this video, I was stunned on how stable the footage was and how good it looked and the exposure and the speed and the lack of aliasing if you get your codecs right on Final Cut Pro. And honestly, I was just astonished. And, and this morning, Rob, GoPro announced a brand new product. It is called the GoPro Hero 10 Bare Bones. Oh, for Cinewhoop? Yes. Nice. Or excuse me, Black Bones, not Bare Bones. It should be called Bare Bones, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, here we go. The Black Bones. It is made specifically for Cinewhoops. So it takes the weight down to a third of its original weight. It was like, I think, 169 grams, and it got down to 59 grams. No. So like a... Th wow. One third the weight. Yeah. That's uh -huh. incredible. And so... That is what you needed. I know. Yeah. And they have this new mount on the camera too, to make it like perfect for Cinewhoop. So I think we're going to have to buy one of these, frankly, because, you know, when I was doing this Cinewhoop production for the Isotopes baseball team, we're going to go over, uh, you know, what we did. We're, we're going to actually put the video in the show so that you can watch it uh, and kind of go over what it looked like, how we went through the process of planning, how it came about. But, you know, I had gone into the Cinewhoop stuff, and, and, and we'll get into the question here in a second, but I had gone into the Cinewhoop stuff thinking that I would need to use a software, like real steady, to make the footage, you know, nice, crispy, gimbal-like, smooth, you know. And um, it's funny enough because when I looked at the original file, I was like, wow, th this really doesn't even need stabilization. It, it looks great. And I actually tried to use real steady. Uh, anyway, just to see how much better the stabilization would be. And Real Steady would not let me stabilize the footage because it had already been stabilized by GoPro. It's like we can't do any better. 
I don't know. Well, yeah. Right? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know either, <laughs> to be honest. But I will say, you know, we are in the middle of, we filmed a CineWhoop class. So we've got a class coming out for members on how to get into CineWhoop, how to learn how to fly CineWhoop or learn to fly FPV. Um, and then kind of going into equipment. We've learned a lot over the last eight months of doing this. And we're also going to go into how we plan this shoot because there was essentially like 10 to 12 different scenes inside of this one shot take, which which really made this extremely difficult as far as a production is concerned. But going into it, I thought, oh, yeah, we would use Real Steady. We would use CineWhoop. We would use this. We would use that. But I think the process is getting even easier for consumers. And I think that we are on the precipice of CineWhoop really becoming mainstream. I mean, you're seeing CineWhoop videos in Super Bowl ads. You know, like you're seeing it everywhere. A lot of people are using them for residential real estate, too. Oh, yeah. The indoor tours. And it's whatnot. actually pretty cool. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like Nick Lang was really on the precipice of that. Could and be. I, there, there was a company called Indoor Drone Tours out of Colorado, and they actually just made it on Denver 7 News about mm. what they do. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, if you're in the real estate game and you want to step it up a notch to get more money, to get more work, to do more higher end stuff, look at Cam Sale, drone you member in Cinewhoop. He's been flying Cinewhoop for a year now. And that's all he does now. And really? so, yeah, and so it goes to show that, like, you know, learning new skills is the greatest investment that you can ever make in yourself because you're able to sell that investment time and time and time and time and time again. It's the ultimate scalability. But I think we're going to have a really interesting, fun show today. Just want to say thank you, Tom, uh, to your for your question today. Um, and also just want to say thank you to everyone who is a DroneU member. Um, thank you to everyone who is a props member. Um, we are very excited. Soon we're going to be launching um, props for Lucid Cleaning Drones. We're going to be launching props for public safety and props for public safety fire EMS. And we've got a new props program called Props for Commercial Roof Inspections. We're working on that this week. I don't know. That'll probably be the last one to come out. But if you are getting involved in drone programs or teams, you definitely have to check out the Props program. There is no educational platform on the internet like the Props program. It was built and designed to manage multiple pilots going through various different training programs, but to provide them with systematic communication, systems to make your drone program easy and seamless and be able to manage that all in one place. So uh, props actually stands for professional, reliable operators practicing safety. And, uh, you know, we've been working on this for years now and it's out and it's about, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really gaining steam. It's really exciting. DroneU has diversified a little bit to really help out um, public safety teams, drone programs, lots of construction lots of inspections, lots of utility stuff. So we're really uh, grateful for all of our current clients as it's grown almost five or 600% in the last six months. So very excited for that. And just want to say thank you to all of you who really were a part of building up DroneU and now a part of building up the props program as well. So um, we also, just before we play the question, we do have some trainings coming up, Dallas and Denver, Flight Mastery, if you're ready to raise your confidence, fly through gates, have some fun. 
uh, earn an educational discount. Join us for that. Also, we'll be going over comprehensive mapping, which is three days of mapping training. Uh, you know, we've been answering a lot of mapping questions recently. And I have to say, if uh, you're doing anything mapping related, I highly recommend that you attend one of these trainings. You can check them out, thedroneu.com. Hey, Paul and Rob, Tom again. Hey, saw one of your Instagram stories about you flying the Cinewhoop around uh, some venues, and I was wondering if you could go over kind of some of the shot planning on that, the logistics, and kind of how you go ahead and get approvals for that kind of stuff and everything that goes into putting something together to get a shot like that. Thanks again. So thank you, Tom. I um, always appreciate your questions, and they tend to be very timely, um, which is cool in terms of what you ask when. But this, I'm excited to hear you talk about this. I mean, obviously, I kind of watched it unfold and kind of watched the ins and the outs and the conversations and all of that stuff. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about this whole story, which I don't know if you'll talk about today, but is the is the whole sales element of it and how it came about. Yeah. Which I think is a super cool lesson in kind of how you operate and how I think all pilots should operate in terms of there's probably no matter what you're doing or where you are, if you're in the right mindset, there's opportunity sitting right next to you. Mm. And you just kind of have to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. So which take is, it away. Which is so funny because classic Paul, there were some definite classic Paul moments where I'm like, yeah. what do these people want? Why are they blowing up my phone all the time? You know, like, wah, wah, wah. Shut up, Paul. <laughs> Shut up. So, um, yeah. But, okay, so how did, I, I think we should take this in, how did it come about, the planning? Because there were, I would call it three parallels of planning. One, practicing the actual flying. Two, planning out the storyboard. And then three, planning out the right equipment. Because, I mean, it was right up until the last week before we did it that I was like, okay, I finally feel good about which drone, which battery, which mount. If you remember, I changed the camera mount literally two days before the final shoot. Yeah, so. I do remember. Yeah, sitting in there in the conference room messing around with oh, anybody's crews. Literally, like I, so the drone I ended up using was a Bumblebee, I, iFlight Bumblebee. V2. Which, by the way, the investment in this shoot in terms of equipment, uh -huh. not tremendous. No, not at all. I mean, we... Several hundred dollars? Well, we had one Cinewhoop already, the right. Bumblebee we ended up using. We bought another one because we, were, we wanted to have a backup because... If you're not familiar, Cinewhoop drones, well, they break, <laughs> especially when you're learning how to fly them. Uh, I mean, I had that iFlight Bumblebee and then crashed it. I don't know how many times. I feel like the most famous crash was when I was learning uh, in acro mode to do barrel rolls and I hit the wrong switch in the parking lot and the drone literally like landed upside down and then sparked a battery fire right by the owner of the doctors next door. So. Oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> about that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, but I mean, all in all, I think we were in it for about 1500 bucks. If you also account for the money that we spent last year on getting a Cinewhoop. So, I mean, if you look at how much we spent just in this, in the last two months for this shoot, I would say maybe 700 bucks. That's what I want to emphasize though, because that's the whole point, if I may, of Drone U is learning from what we've done in yeah. our mistakes and successes. And so we can take what would cost you 1500 to 2000 and bring it way down based on all the work you did. Well, right? for sure. And I mean, I cannot imagine teaching FPV or anything drone wise without having 
a lot of extensive experience because what may have worked for you one month isn't going to work the next month or the next. Everything evolves so fast that I really don't understand how other people in the industry you know, uh, talk out of their booties, as I would say. Um, but getting back to the positive, you're right. Learning this, you know, we learned about how we can use certain Cinewhoops on 4S batteries to fly inside. And then we learned how to fly, you know, the same Cinewhoop on a 6S battery and have insane power outside. And then how when we finally add our GoPro onto the drone, the 6S battery now feels like a 4S battery, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, like you alluded to, Rob, there is so much that has to be learned by experience because you are forced to make it work. Right. You know, you are forced to essentially have to figure it out because you have to get it right for the client. You know, and I feel like one of the biggest questions I've been getting on Instagram is how many takes did it get? Was it for you guys uh, to actually get the shot? Well, on practice day, so that was three days before the final shoot, I flew the flight lines nine times. And I realized that the flight into the door, into the pro shop, which we're going to show the video at the end of the podcast, the flight into the door was probably the hardest line because it's kind of like an S curve into the door. And then the second hardest shot is through the pizza box out into the concourse. Um, and then the third hardest shot had to have been flying through the nets because all the stadiums have added these nets. I mean, yeah. you know, we did all that mapping on all the baseball stadiums for them to calculate the interference from these new nets. Well, all the nets are up now. So that was a bear in itself because it's not just a flat net. It was actually like a T-section, you know. So, I mean, very, very, very small margin of error. And then we flew through Orbit's legs. Which <laughs> <laughs> Poor Orbit. Yeah. <laughs> he came up to me afterwards and he was like, uh, scared. I can't say it on the show, but he was very scared. <laughs> he so, was very scared. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's probably not much protection from his fur, as they would say. So, uh, Well... He should have been <laughs> protected. Yeah. If I would have been him. Yeah. And I would I'd act, have doubled up. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is one of the most important things that the isotopes went over in this planning process was how we talked about orbit. You know, they made hmm. sure they were like, we need to be very specific about how we talk about orbit because there are kids involved and we need to maintain our oh, um, yeah. image of orbit, et cetera. So I would say in the planning session, that was probably one of the most interesting things. But getting to how all, all this happened. So as many of you know, we started the props education platform. It's, it's supposed to be organized, sequential, you know, uh, intuitive, interactive, et cetera, to really streamline technical education, make it fun and, and uh, easy to manage. Well, we have been working with a company called Lucid Drone Technologies. And I know Rob knows about Lucid in depth and in detail because we've been working on this since September of last year. And um, we finally just finished that program, which was an astronomical amount of work. Like, you know, we might have billed for X, but it was X times four. <laughs> like, you know. It's all um, going to be worth it, though. Oh, 100%. And it's going to help them so much. 100%. And I'm actually very proud to deliver what we delivered to them. But we wanted to showcase um, in this Lucid Props program. So we built, you know, props for drones and teams. And now we're building it for manufacturers. So manufacturers are like, we can't find good trainers it costs us extreme amounts of money. We really need a solid drone program, drone training program from zero to hero, and that someone can take anywhere. And so we developed 
props. But we also developed this uh, visual troubleshooting guide. So imagine if you had a problem with your drone, you could log into your props account and there's literally a 3D model of the drone. And on that 3D model, literally they can move it around and compare it to their drone. And if they have an issue, they click on that area and then videos pop up on how to solve issues with that particular problem. But the thing is, is that in this props program, we really wanted to display the various methodologies of using this cleaning drone. This drone is made to spray water, chemicals, solvents, etc. It is made to clean windows, buildings, mostly I would argue East Coast buildings where you see well, coastal buildings, right? There are a lot of buildings in California that could really use this drone. Well, the, yeah, I mean, really everywhere. You get, you've got dust, you've got sand, you've got, I mean, there's all, they're going to they're gonna have a, a pretty big uh, platform to work from. Especially when you consider how Lucid fits into the whole smart cities concepts. Yeah. And how governments are working towards smart cities and how Lucid's drone can help so much with maintaining buildings autonomously. But that said, one of the things you want to showcase is cleaning stadiums. Now, this was kind of back in the wake of COVID. COVID has subsequently, uh, everyone's realized it's a cold virus. Um, and so that said, you know, we're kind of out of the realm of COVID, but we wanted to show using that drone at a stadium to showcase the power of cleaning with that drone and, and what it can do. Well, we've had a long-standing relationship with Isotope State, uh, Isotopes Baseball a Team Club and I had reached out to our contact there and said, hey, we really want to get into Isotopes to show this drone. And, and, you know, if you guys want a demo on how it works, great. We're happy to do that. But we're not here to sell drones. Like we really am, are doing a training program and want to demonstrate how this would work. Well, they gave us access to the field and they gave us access to the stadium. Everything went swimmingly. And then a few days later, I get a phone call from the GM of the team, like the, the head guy of the team, who I thought I was already working with, but I guess I wasn't. So um, that said, John gives me a call. He's like, hey, have you seen this uh, bowling video, this Sinua bowling video? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I know the guy who filmed it. And he's like, I want to do that with the baseball team. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, like right now? Yes or no? He's like, oh, yeah, 100 percent. He's like, let's work up a deal. He goes, I know there's going to be a lot of planning and logistics in this but I want to work a deal to do this cinema video at the stadium. And it wasn't until a few weeks later that I realized to Rob as we're writing up the deal, hey, we could actually use this video to do a really cool Cinewhoop class. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, we got this job. We're doing this job. We're going to show you how to do this job. We're going to show you what we learned about equipment, learning to fly, cameras, et cetera, in this job. So you can see exactly how we produce this video because – by far and away, Rob, this was the hardest production we've ever done. Well, there were a lot of moving parts and yes. a lot of people involved. It was a vast, fairly vast area, not like ag or something, but in a different dynamic. A lot of people had to be on cue. It was really quite the production. It was pretty cool. Yeah, to do a one-shot video with 12 scenes in that one-shot video takes a lot of logistics, a lot of planning. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of to Tom's question of, like, what did it take? Well, we had five meetings with Isotopes. Um, the first two were Zoom calls, and we kind of wrote out an idea of, well, what do we want to show? Well, we want to show the experience of going to an Isotopes game. So literally, we want to show all of the highlights in 60 seconds. Like, boom, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. And so we wrote up a storyboard 
to only literally nix the whole thing like two weeks later <laughs> and re rewrite the whole storyboard. So I actually have the storyboard in front of me. I literally just use Google Docs. It's not an actual storyboard where we had like images to showcase what we were showing. We essentially have this single space, five page document that we wrote up after the fourth meeting. And so we had an initial storyboard during the third meeting, but the fourth meeting, we actually went out to the stadium. We walked the flight lines because I thought that was so important mm -hmm. to walk the flight line because we also have to maintain visual line of sight. Even though we've got the goggles on, we've got Steve as my visual observer because this was in a zero grid. So that's that's the, the next story. Um, but so we had to figure out walking the flight line, how exactly it would go. You want to make sure that you don't have too long of distances to fly between scenes, right? Because if you do, then the viewer is going to be essentially bored. Yeah. So well, you. Yeah. Theoretically. I mean, it all happens so fast. That's a fine line. It is. You probably have more room than you think, but still you want to err on the side of excitement. Well, again, too, you got to think about it for as much as you, ex you know, have extreme acceleration, you have to have extreme braking, you know, so. Yeah. Or just, just smooth. I mean, you don't want to just. Choom, 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 exactly. Right? You got to show what you're trying to show. Exactly. So. so it is a fine line. And walking the flight lines helped us understand where I would need to be positioned as the pilot and where the VO would need to be as well in order to maintain FAA regulations. As many of you know, you can do Cinewhoop indoors and not be FAA licensed whatsoever because it's not the FAA's jurisdiction. Um, but as soon as you go outside, that's a whole nother story. You do need uh, your 107, et cetera. And I mean, that in indoor drone tours company, I want to ask them if they're 107 rated because they do everything inside. I think the answer is no, but I've asked them to come on the show numerous times. So, Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Mm. So that said, you know, in planning that fourth meeting, we went out there, we rewrote every scene. Like I had my little book, you know, my little notebook and I wrote down each scene, which turned into this five page document, which was 12 scenes. So I'll just quickly go through them. But the first scene is essentially starting right outside of the isotopes kind of billboard and sign moving below the stadium arch sign, which is kind of like over the pedestrian pathways and stairs up into the stadium. Now below that sign, we were supposed to have a mariachi band essentially playing music, which they were. And so we had to separate them out so I wouldn't fly over them, right? Because, you know, FA rules can't fly over people. So I flew between them. So, <laughs> and by the way, one of them had the best smile. I still, it still sticks in my mind. Yeah. He was so happy to be there. Anyways, yeah, he, carry No, on. he was, he was. <laughs> and, you know, from the mariachis, that's where we were supposed to go into the pro shop. Well, later on in the fifth meeting, they're like, well, we want to have a, a bunch of low riders out there. We have a low rider night. We want to showcase that. Very New Mexican. Yes, very, right. which I was a little apprehensive to. I'm not even going to lie. I was like, well, I don't want to fly through their vehicles. Like I can, but I don't want to because a battery fire and one of those things is going to be a little bit more than I think my insurance is going to be stoked to cover. <laughs> so a um, couple weeks later, we set those low riders up so that we had the convertibles kind of up front and I flew like right over them. So you could still kind of get a sense for, uh, those convertibles, but we move into the pro shop and we're essentially supposed to show people shopping, which here's the funniest part. We had two people set up to showcase the shopping in the store. And then last minute, you know, literally on the day of the final shoot, the players, we had five actual players from the team there. And the funniest thing happens. They're like, 
our girlfriends are bored. Can we put them to work? <laughs> Liter- literally. And we're like, well, let's see your girlfriends. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> so, <laughs> Boy. Probably not HR approved, but I said, oh, let's see them. Let's, you know, we'll give them something easy to do. Well, you know, two tall, skinny, beautiful blonde girls. We're like, let's put them in the shop. And they'll be talking to each other, showing shopping, et cetera. They loved it. They were perfect. The thing is, is that the shop was also where myself and the VO were positioned because I was flying from the outside of the stadium, moving into the stadium, through the concourse, and then out to the field. So I had to maintain that visual line of sight. So literally, we planned for me to be, because I saw Paul Nurk uh, uh, do this as well, where he was in a chair and they literally pushed his chair to maintain the signal and, and him and the VO and all of that. So we did the same thing. And so I was in this chair, thanks to my friend Jason, who had very randomly, very, very randomly uh, bought me some office chair wheels for Christmas a couple years ago. Um, I don't even know what to say to that. I don't know what to say to that either. It worked Other, out, though. It, it sure did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have these, like, skateboard wheels, or I would call them more roller bra- blade wheels for the chair. It actually was amazing because it made it a very smooth yeah. motion. Because Steve moved me the first time, Rob, and my chair turned around, and I felt like throwing up in that pro shop. <laughs> One more reason you practice. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was like, oh, stop, Steve, stop moving, stop moving. And he's like, are you okay? And everyone's like, dude, your face was so white, like a ghost. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's how I felt too. But as we exit the pro shop, that's where our fourth scene happens, where we've got a bartender handing a beer to a patron and we fly through the kiosk of where the bar is. And then they also wanted to showcase how they have good food there. So originally we were going to fly through the pizza box. I mean, we had cut a hole in it during our practice runs. I had flown through it twice, but during both runs, I had kind of come during one of them. I actually hit the bottom of the box and flew off. And I realized, well, if there's a pizza in there, I really can't do that. Cause if we get grease on those motors, the shoot is over. So, So we decided to actually remove that box and just have the box open. Which worked out just fine. Yeah. And fly uh, essentially right over the box. So then we fly and move down the concourse uh, and into the stadium seats where on the dugout we had these 10 mariachi dancers. Really beautiful. Stunning. Yeah, the color color Mm -hmm. was amazing. Yeah. And so that also helped us kind of fill that void in going from the concourse to the field. So yeah. we see those dance. Yeah, we see those dancers. And I have to say, Rob, that was one of the hardest fight lines because it has to be a big giant curve, like a half moon motion. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't see in your peripheries where the opening for the net was. Well, that and you're trying to to rotate so that you're actually seeing the dancers well. Exactly. So it kind of all work together to get around and go through the net. Exactly, yeah. But yeah made it look easy. (sighs) That was one of the hardest (laughs) motions to master. So then as we enter onto the field after viewing the mariachi dancers on the dugout, this is where we were going to see Orbit, the mascot of the baseball team, in a pickle between the first baseman and the second baseman. Now, I will say the only complaint that the stadium team has had was that I wasn't closer to them to show that scene. But we had timed that scene so many times, and they were honestly the one group that was missing their cues kind of over and over again. And so we had a safety shot where I was much closer to them, and you see the ball hit the mitt like right in front of the drone. 
But there were some other flight lines I thought didn't look as smooth or as good. So we went with the final take, the seventh take. Um, and so as we show that pickle, we're essentially just yawing just slightly towards um, the, uh, what is it called, home plate. And to see the pitcher, the pitcher throws a strike, literally strikes out the batter. And I have got to say, like some of these players really had their acting game on point because the ump was perfect with his, you're out of here, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> and, you know, it was perfect to see like um, the batter walk off in like a, uh, in shame. Like, yeah, it, yeah, that was so glorious. Like it was, and he was not instructed to do that. Like, honestly, he's like been here, done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, literally baseball, you're successful three 30% of the time you're killing it. Yeah. And so then we moved around the umpire and kind of went down that third baseline where the mascot races were going on. So, you know, I grew up in DC, we had the nationals. And so we have the presidents that run the oh, little yeah, race, yeah. you know, but here in Albuquerque, we have the red chili, the green chili, the jar of salsa and the tortilla running. <laughs> so Slash taco. Yeah. Yeah. Slash, oh, sorry, Taco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah forgive me. <laughs> well, I don't know if we can, Paul. <laughs> um, and so we fly down that third baseline to see them start their race, right? And we're kind of tracking behind them as they're racing. And then we exit literally through the mascot's legs. And then we go up all the way from second base to the very tip of the outfield, which, and you can see Above it, the lights. Yeah, above the lights. And you can see it in the video. I mean, I am like ramming the sticks. like To get it up. To try yeah. to to try to get there. Because again, the idea was to get all of these 12 scenes in 60 seconds. It ended up being 90 seconds. They were, they were happy with that. I was happy with that. I thought it looked really clean anyway. And so we go up to kind of where the kids play section is, mm -hmm. right? The inflatables, they've got the Topes Tower, which is this little mechanical, you know, roller coaster ride. They got the carousel. And so we orbit around that and then essentially uh, fly between the lights back into the stadium so that they can have their ending credits pretty much. And I have to say, Rob, it was uh, by far one of the hardest shoots ever. And it was really nice. You know, the Albuquerque Journal, our big newspaper here, did a write-up on the video about how hard it was and gave credit to literally every single group that was involved. Yeah. That was really cool to see. It took a lot of people working together. So I kind of want to ask you, what do you think was the most important one or two maybe elements that made it be the success that it was? Teamwork. There were 50 people involved in that production. And what's really funny is um, Becca was the lead. I was going to say, yeah. probably shout out for her. Yeah, Becca, Becca Zook was in charge of coordination with the Isotopes group. She did a phenomenal, phenomenal job um, kind of telling everyone. She set up all the cues. We worked on them together on that final day to get the cues right. Because like entering in the drone, flying into the pro shop, that sound was the cue for the girls for shopping. Okay, and then on the radio, Becca's hanging out behind the glass. You can't see it in the video. She's on the radio, like drone coming through pro shop. Let's uh, serve that beer. And literally, like beer, pizza box opens. At that same pro shop queue was the queue for the dancers. When I made it halfway between the dancers, there's a little hash mark on the field where you have like first baseline, but then there's a hash mark for like the batter's box. 
when the drone passed that hash mark, or not batter's box, but like the first base coach kind of line. Sorry, I'm not a baseball fan. No, you're fine. You're Rob's fine. Rob's looking not, at me like, what? You don't know what this means? I'm not going to sit here and correct you. <laughs> no, it's baseball okay. Baseball is my sport. Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> well, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your humility there, Rob. Um, but that said, that once we pass that, that hash mark, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've mentioned the hash mark yeah, enough. <laughs> yeah, that was the cue for the pickle and the pitcher. So because when you're looking at the dancers, you want to see that there's something going on on the field, you know. And so then once I got essentially to the home plate and as I was halfway between home plate and third base, that was the cue for the race. And then that was the cue for orbit. And so that, that kind of covers all of the cues that were involved. But Becca was the one on the radio. And what's super funny is we did the the pre-flight safety briefing, you know, like we're supposed to do for FAA. Um, and, you know, I'm expecting Becca and the GM of the team. And I mean, like literally every executive on the team was there that day, except for one. So I was expecting them to lead it explain what was going on, bring me in, here's our pilot, here's some words from our pilot. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, Paul, come up here and uh, lead this thing and tell us what's going on. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, I will do that. So the lesson, be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, like, I want to give Becca the credit for coordinating it, but at that meeting, it looked like I was coordinating the whole thing, which is really not the, the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And so between the low riders, the dancers, the five players, everyone involved on the concession stands, the store, there were about, I think it was like 48, 49 people. I mean, it was, it was a big production. Yeah. So on top of that, we've got a crew filming the whole thing mm-hmm. for the class. So yeah, it's incredible. It's it's so cool and so fun. One of the things that I noticed just having looked at the um the storyboard is the amount of detail that goes into it. In terms of yeah. um yeah, the number of people, the just the timing, how many pizza boxes, all of it, it's very detailed and you might not necessarily hit every detail in the actual shoot that makes mm-hmm. the final cut, right? Yeah. But you still have that sort of path in your mind with all the details worked out. A hundred percent. That was really interesting to me, all the detail that went into it, because I could see it being very, very sort of summarized of fly through here and see what happens. But it's not like that. No, no, it's not not like that at all. And I mean, I think it's a good point to bring up the detail because even at the end of the storyboard, we've got like for each scene, we have notes on safety and notes for logistics. Like what are the staff that we need? What are the accessories that we need for that scene? And then below that, we essentially had our practice rehearsals, which due to the spring New Mexico winds, we were supposed to have three days of practice for this. And I got one. I got one morning, like a couple of hours in the morning one day. And that was it. And then it's like, okay, showtime in 48 hours. And we're like, oh, geez. So there was a lot of Paul sitting out in front of the office in a chair flying through stuff. Yes. That was your practice. Yes. But in terms of practicing on location, you didn't get much of that. No, not at all. And so that kind of goes into those three parallels of practice. It was one, setting up the storyboard, planning it out. Two was getting in the Sinowat practice, flying outside in the chair, um, would you guys guess what the number one obstacle that I used to do all the training? Rob's Jeep. <laughs> Literally. We should have opened it up for you so you could go through it as well. Uh, we'll, we'll get there, Rob. No. Okay, that, <laughs> yeah, kidding. that's cool. So I, I have another question, and that is, did John or whoever else, Becca, did they know 
that you had never done this before? No. Okay. See? I And I, I asked that because I didn't think they did. I was not expecting that question. That was kind of like a, <gasps> like, no. At this point, no, Rob, I at have this it. point, it's okay, even if they hear it, right? Because you obviously came through. Crushed it, yeah. With, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I the I, reason I asked that question is I want people to... You know, I mean, obviously you got to work and, and be in and operate within yourself, but also be ballsy. Yes. Try, try stuff. Take yes. a risk. Yes. Because it was a risk. But it was calculated too. Well, of know? course. There I was... mean, you don't want to take a risk without some calculation to mitigate that risk, True. but nonetheless, there's oh, a risk. And I think it's an important point too to like say that you got to have that baseline of practice yeah. so that on the day of the shoot, if you need to push it a little bit, at least you have that foundation and you're not like completely out of your comfort zone. Oh, absolutely. And know? so I would guess, correct me, but I would guess that you... You want to go into this. You're going to have nerves. That's just inevitable. There's mm-hmm. got to be some butterflies, but you're confident. Yeah, you have to. Right. And you can't show it. And then I will say that was the highest pressure production I have ever done. I mean, literally at the very last take, I was like, okay, I only have two batteries, this one and one more. And if I don't get it, we're done. And even as I say, I take a big deep breath because I sat in that chair. I had already powered on the drone. The camera was already rolling. And I mean, like, if you look at the final clip, it was rolling for a couple of minutes as I sat in that chair, composed myself, took a lot of deep breaths, said a little prayer, asked for a little help. (laughs) (laughs) Or a lot of help. (laughs) Yeah, or a lot of help. Uh, And then got it. I have to say, Rob, I was really not expecting you to ask that hard question because it is a very real reality. And as much as I don't want to admit it, I realize how powerful it is to admit that and say like, look, yeah, it really was the first one I did. I mean, I've flown through a couple of houses in Sinawa, but nothing for an actual like production, you know? Well, and you typically don't. I've not seen, I'm sure they're out there, but I've not seen Cinewhip videos that are produced like this. I mean, you see them flying through houses, flying through cool stuff, flying. There's a lot of different ones that are out there, but I haven't seen one that was this produced with all these different scenes and so forth. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was was a lot of fun. So just want to say that we've got a class coming out on how to do this. We will also include the storyboard. We've got recordings of all the meetings and everything. Uh, There's even, he's got some shots of me practicing, so you can kind of see that. Um, The last part of all this, before we show you the video, was the FAA had updated the Lance grids, the UAS FM grids here in Albuquerque. And areas of town that used to be 100, 200 foot zones were now zero grids. (laughs) And, you know, the uh, cynic, as all of you know that I am, uh, Rob too, uh, I was angry. I was like, I could have, like, literally it wasn't, wasn't even six months ago I got an automatic authorization to go fly at Isotopes. And so I was nervous because I had realized this maybe a week before the final shoot date. And I was like, crap, we have got to get a, an airspace authorization in. I got it filed three days before practice or two days before practice. This is a real blessing. Yes, it really, it really was. And I actually want to say um, shout out to Roger at the FAA for helping me out through this process because he was, he was really, um, he gives me hope with the FAA for sure. So long story short is I applied for all three days of practice and the final shoot. They all got declined because Roger emailed me and said, look, 
I know that if it's a Lance Active Airport, it will not let you set a date range to apply for a wide area authorization. Just put all the days that you want to fly in the comments section and I will give you that approval. Well, he went 100 steps beyond that and gave me a two-week blanket go fly whatever you want, <laughs> you know, approval. And he gave it, I, I want to say it was up, I was either 100 or up to 125 feet because one of the key things I think to get this approval, and this is speculation at this point, this is a guess, but I said highest mocha are the stadium lights and the stadium lights are 125 feet and I'm staying below that. And so essentially I'm saying I'm not even in navigable airspace. It's kind of like a soft, like... Hey, yeah, you know, like <laughs> if there are airplanes or helicopters flying here, they got much bigger problems than me. Yeah, <laughs> you know what totally. I'm saying? So he gave me the approval. We got it all set. He actually gave it to me same day. We had to cancel practice that day, though, because the approval came in a little late and the winds were a little high. So we decided not to fly that date. Um, but I have to say, literally, the approval ended two days ago, by the way. Uh, so honestly, the experience that we got in their new approval system for these zero grids, I think was extremely valuable. But even so to the point that in the Albuquerque Journal article, he says at the very end of the article, it's the second to last sentence that like the video ends with flying over the lights into the stadium. I emailed him and called him and I said, can you change the word above to between because my airspace authorization was literally based off the fact that I would not fly over the stadium lights. And if you look at the video, I'm not over the lights, you know? No, you would have been very sensitive to that. So I was like, can you please change this one word? No answer. Shocker. Uh, but uh, anyway, I don't know if they changed it or not. Mm. So, But I just didn't want to get any slack, uh, flack, excuse me, from the Well, you uh, can FAA. see on the video, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it's recorded. But anyway, so we're going to be doing a lot on Cinewhoop here for members. Um, again... I think that this is one of the funnest things that you can do right now as a drone pilot, especially if you've been through the whole gamut of, of drone stuff and you kind of lost your um, energy, your drive. Cinewhoop will push you. It will be that challenge to keep you going. And I have to say, there is a sense of liberty and freedom in flying Cinewhoop. There are no no-fly zones. There are no limitations. There's no update your firmware before you take off or we're going to limit the takeoff. Okay, none of that crap. It's just arm and boop. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you better keep the boo going or it's going yeah. like this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I let PJ fly outside and I'm like, there's no hover, PJ. You're descending. Okay, elevate, elevate, elevate. <laughs> and he's like, it really doesn't stop moving ever. I'm like, no. Because there's no GPS. <laughs> so, so that was funny to watch PJ try to fly FPV while he was here at the Drone U Studios. Um, but that said, guys, um, take a look at this video. Let us know what you think. We've got a class coming for all of you members out there. And just so you know, too, an update on classes, we have that wedding videography class coming out. We just launched a few multiple new don't crash courses on various drones. We've got new drones in the hopper. Um, and I have to say, I think that this is uh, a truly, truly fun and freeing experience. And it's a whole new way to fly that I personally absolutely love. And I will say I fully understand now why some FPV guys say the DJI FPV drone is not the one to learn on. I was like, no, this is good. It helps you learn. Blah, blah, blah. No, there's so many nuances that force you to relearn certain systems of truly flying FPV. And um, 
By fun the, nonetheless, but maybe not the way to learn F, true FPV. True. And not only that, the DJI FPV drone has a gimbal on it, and the footage out of the Cinewhip was smoother. And it's not gimbaled. That's, that's like a little bombshell. Drop the mic here. Um, but uh, but <laughs> On any, that note, let's play the video. Yeah, on that note, here it is. By the way, the sound design was probably the hardest part in editing. So all those sounds are artificial, just so you know. Because in the video, all you hear is... So anyway, but enjoy the video. Thanks for joining us. Let us know what you think. See you next time. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.